You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. Looking around, maybe what I'm going to say is basic. But I think sometimes we need to know the basics, not just for ourselves, but then we can help other people on their journey. So if you know all this, forgive me. If you don't, then that's great. Or if you learn a bit more, that's great also. I believe that in the beginning, there was a perfect relationship between God and men in every way. Physical, spiritual, the whole thing. Because it says that God walked and talked with Adam and Eve. It was a close relationship. But something happened that broke that relationship. And we've never quite understood the enormity of that. People have tried to give you impressions of it. I mean, I'd heard one story saying, imagine a Formula One car going 200 miles down the straight, and if it was possible, somebody put that engine into reverse, and that engine would end up in a million pieces. And you can probably think of other things. We cannot comprehend, because it's beyond our understanding, the enormity of what happened when man decided to go their own way. But what it did for me, even in this last few days, or sorry, yesterday, realized that to put something that was so awful right needed a bigger miracle than to destroy it. So if we lost so much there, something so amazing happened to restore it back to us. And when I think of the death of Jesus, the incredible thing of his death where God himself came and walked amongst us in human flesh to reestablish what we had lost in the first place. God didn't lose it, we lost it. But we can't even comprehend. We're dealing with thoughts now beyond our understanding. I read something the other day. Scientists say that the universe, still expanding, is probably 15 billion light years across. Now, if you imagine light travels at 186,000 miles a second, so in one second it can go around our Earth seven and a half times in one second. Now, imagine that as a measure... You can't use feet and inches in the universe. It's light years. That's trillions of miles in one year. But they reckon it's 15 billion across. And in Isaiah, it says, my thoughts are higher than yours, as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's pretty high compared 15 billion light years. So some of the things we're trying to understand are just beyond our wildest imaginations. So I want to begin where Jesus met a man called Nicodemus, Nicodemus came at night, a Pharisee, well-known, but he came at night because he was afraid of everybody else. It wouldn't be good to see a Pharisee talking to Jesus, who most of the Pharisees wanted to get rid of, because he was upsetting the apple cart. So it's John 3. So this Nicodemus, he was part of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And then, I don't know whether he's being funny here or not. Or whether it's just beyond, his under, it's out of his time frame. He doesn't understand this. So he comes and he says, How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb. Now, Claire's midwife, head of midwifery, wherever. I suppose it's good news. You've got a seven-pound baby you're going to deliver. 
I suppose, not knowing these things really, but when it gets to 10 to 12 pounds, that might be a bit more problem. But Nicodemus said, Mum, you're going to have a 14-stone baby. I mean, this is, this is the implication here. Can a man go into his mother's womb a second time? Jesus, what are you talking about? But of course, Jesus was talking not in the same wavelength at all because Nicodemus couldn't see it. So Jesus says again, I tell you, no one can even enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Unless a man is born of the spirit and of water, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. And Jesus said, you shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. They're on a different wavelength than the natural. Nicodemus couldn't see it because actually, according to that, I don't think he'd been born again. He couldn't see what Jesus was talking about. Just imagine it, you've got a caterpillar. And it forms the cocoon, and to all intents and purposes, that caterpillar dies. It's become a tomb. But its tomb has also become a womb for a brand new life in a brand new realm. The the butterfly now can do things that the caterpillar could never, ever do. Now it can fly in another realm. I believe this can be a picture to help us understand the spiritual reality when we come to Jesus, ask him to come into our life. In a sense, our old caterpillar life has gone and we've been given a brand new life now that we can fly in a different realm. The strange thing is, if the butterfly so chose, it could still behave as if it was a caterpillar, if it so chose, but it doesn't have to. And now it's totally different than the caterpillar. It would be by choice that it didn't fly. When we became Christians, something so dramatic happened in us that actually almost blows unbelief. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, Paul is talking and saying that by our nature, all we could ever have was the wrath of God. By nature. He sang a hymn this morning, said, When Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Before Jesus, all we had and could have was the wrath of God because of our sin and fallen nature. That word nature is only used twice in the New Testament. Once, what I've just quoted there from Ephesians, in our nature, all we deserved was the wrath of God. And then it's quoted again in 2 Peter chapter 1. And it talks about now, because of the promises of God, our new life, through the promises of God and belief in him, we now can actually be participants, participate in the divine nature. Through our belief in Jesus, in the new life, is death of the old, of the old nature. And in Christ now, with God, we participate in God's divine nature. This word in Greek is phusis, and it means who you are, the essential part. You know, so if you cut off my arms and legs, I would still be poor. There's something in us that is more than just physical. But it also means your hereditary line. 
before Christ, my hereditary line, you can look it back, go back to Adam and the fall and everything else. But this new fusis, this new nature now shares the divine nature. I have a new family line. So much of the past, by believing and accepting, can be cut off from the past because I'm not the same anymore. That old part has gone. It's dead. Now I've got this new family. I've got a new family line that goes back to God through Christ. The NIV tries to make things simple so you can understand. For me, I think they've made a mistake on what they've done. This word nature only appears twice in Ephesians and in Peter, to Peter. There's another word that's constantly used. It's the flesh. We battle not against you know, we battle against the flesh, not against people. It's, it's all this and spiritual powers that use the flesh. That word is called sark, and it just means your flesh. You know, we've talked about the flesh and the battles we all have with the flesh. But what the NIV does, they take that word flesh and they translate it as old nature, as if your old nature is still alive, and that's the battle you're facing. It's not. Your old nature's dead. We now participate in God's divine nature. The flesh is very truly alive. We've been changed. Imagine you plant an apple tree and what do you expect to produce? Apples, yeah? You won't plant an apple tree to expect an orange. So in our old nature, because of what it was, all you could anticipate is going to be a disappointment to God, God's wrath, you're going to fail, you're going to sin, you're going to mess up. Would you agree that? That's the root of the old nature. That's what it was. But now if we're saying we participate with God's divine nature... That is something different. Because I believe there's a reference here. It says God is spirit. And those who worship God worship him in spirit and in truth. So this new nature is, is this, it's a spiritual thing. So now we can expect to bear something that we couldn't before. And I think as long as we keep considering the old nature is alive, and that's so sinful, it's awful and everything, it's still there. It stops us believing that actually we're new creations in Christ now. We've moved on from that. The devil wants you to keep you grounded on all that. As I said this morning, it was so clear in the songs. Condemnation, guilt, I'm a failure, I've messed up all the stuff that belonged to the old nature. But now we don't have to. Do you know, in the, old, in the New Testament, I think over something like 370 odd times... Unbelievers are called sinners. Unbelievers. I think it's nearly 200 times in the New Testament. Believers are called saints. If you're a believer, you're a saint. If you're an unbeliever, the Bible calls you a sinner. And what do sinners do? They sin. And what we're hoping and praying for, believers, sin occasionally. But you don't have to because our nature's been changed. And I think we need to know something so amazing has taken place when we were born again, for those who have been. The old went and the new came. Once we were dead to God, now we're alive. Spiritually, we're alive. We've been made alive with Christ. And his divine power has given everything, so Peter tells us. We need for a godly life through knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That's what we have, a brand new life in Jesus. The thing that never changed, the thing that never changed when we were born again was the flesh. That wasn't altered. And that's why Jesus says, you have to put your flesh to death every day. That's still there. That is still warring against everything God wants. I 
read out about, I don't know, five or six weeks ago, last time I taught, somebody who defined what flesh was and what the spirit is, and I thought, I'd like to do that again. Guy was called Monsignor Charles Pope, and he says this about the flesh, and this word sarks, that, you know, that should be more often, the NIV has done old nature. Perhaps most plainly, it refers to that part of us that's alienated from God. It's the rebellious, unruly, obstinate part of our inner self that's operative all the time. It's that part of us that does not want to be told what to do. It's stubborn, it refuses correction, and does not want to have anything to do with God. It bristles at limits and rules. It recoils at anything that causes me, or the I in me, to be diminished, or something less than the center of the universe. The flesh hates to be under authority, or to have to yield to anything other than its own wishes and desires. The flesh often desires something simply because it's forbidden. The flesh. And we all have it. We all have it. But the spirit. Spirit refers not to the Holy Spirit, but to the human spirit. The human spirit that's part of us, which is open to God, which desires him and is drawn to him, is that part of us which is attracted by goodness, beauty and truth, which yearns for completion in God and to see his face. Without the Spirit, we would be totally turned in on ourselves without the Holy Spirit and consumed by the flesh. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit does assist us and draws us to desire what is best, what is upright and what is good and helpful. And the consequence of these two opposing forces is this. The flesh is in direct opposition to the spirit. And this was the battle Paul had, you read in Romans 8, when he wants to do good, it's the flesh is there. Always there, this battle. You can't polish up the flesh, it's got to be put to death. And I wondered, I thought, when I saw this about the butterfly, you know, one realm is trying to keep me bound on the earth in the rubbish and the dirt. And yet the butterfly can go in a different realm, and yet there's a battle. You know, if we've been given these wonderful gifts, we have to choose to live in them. God won't make you. That's why I believe some of the words is appropriate what God's already done for you. Believe him rather than believe the enemy. Because the enemy works in the flesh. The condemnation, it's restriction. I had a thought, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. We've seen people who don't really want to become Christians because it will mean them giving up that. I'm going to lose something. I thought, why do we concentrate on what they're going to lose? Why don't we think of the wonderful things they're going to gain? Hope, life, peace, joy. Why are we so grounded there? Why? Because the flesh wants to keep us back there. And they don't want us to go on in Jesus. Even Christians sometimes say, I don't want to go on that bit. We've got to always wanting more, always moving on in God. And I just saw, in a sense, pictorially, I could imagine the caterpillar re representing my old flesh or the old way and the butterfly, the new. But even there, I have to choose to live in the new being. A phrase that often is used in the New Testament is repent and be baptized. Repent, which we, most of us know is, I was going one way, I've changed, I'm going that way. Repent and be baptized. I think the two go together. I believe the two go together. Jesus said, unless a man is born of the spirit and of water, he cannot see, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
I know there's been a debate. Some people think that water is the natural water in childbirth. And yet part of me thinks, why would Jesus even say that? Because everybody's born like that. Unless they change some things in the years to come. Well, maybe even men having babies and such like this, they're working on at the moment. But, but in the natural, it's a natural thing. People, are, Children are born through mothers. And there's water in the womb. But I think it's spiritual. I think it's the baptism of water for me. And actually, Paul tells us, he shows us something. He talks, I'm talking now about, for me, the, the picture is the adult baptism, you know, believer's baptism. And Paul describes the pool or the water. And he says, you stand on one side of it and there's the water. Actually, that's becoming your tomb. So what he's saying, it's your grave. Just like the caterpillar was going into the cocoon, in a sense, that's your grave. And your old nature, everything now, when you go under, you put in the tomb, you're buried, and that's the other thing, you're totally under, and you come up, you're coming up to a brand new life. What's left there was the old. Now you've got a brand new nature. Now you're born of the Spirit. I'm not saying it happens in the water. This is to show you what's already happened when you ask Christ into your life. But it's a pictorial thing of helping us to understand we were stood there in the old we were buried and we've come up to a brand new life. So in effect, that was the tomb, but it also became the womb for a new life as well. There was a, a story of um, a baptism taking place in a church and they drained the pool and there was a pipe there, you know, that kind of pipe. And so they said, ah, oh, it's John's. And of course, so they take the pipe. John, you, this was found in the baptismal pool. And he obviously had it in his pocket, didn't realise it, came out with the, the pouring in. Of the putting in. And he said, oh, no, 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 that's the old John. It's left. But he got the attitude, he understood. Some years ago, we were um, in Ukraine with Bob. And Bob was teaching in kind of the, the students' part, you know, doing the degrees and everything. But in the same place, they had what they call mission students. And these were people who'd been on drugs or drink, but now they'd given lives to Christ and they were being used as evangelists. So I did a bit of talking there. Speaking to them, loads of them haven't been baptised. So I told the chatting over a meal, Gregory, the guy who was the head one, I just said, some of these guys haven't been baptised. And they lived in the, on the site. So he said, well, let's go back and do it now. I said, it was about 10 o'clock at night. We can't just go and wake him up and say... We and I, I thought he was serious. And his wife kept saying, stop it, Gregory, stop it. But... I'm not sure whether he was or not, but we did arrange a baptismal service. But it wasn't as dramatic as we do it here. You know, here we have the, the pool, and then you go, two of you, and out they come. There, it was a, only about this big. You both stood in it together. The water's up to here. And all you did was, and that was it. It wouldn't have suited us at all. But this one guy, and there's a lovely lady called Henry, who looked after these students spiritually. And he was a big guy, and I saw one day like this at him, pointing. And she said, the world's catching him, the world's calling him back. And I remember this guy being baptised, and he came out of this thing, and he stood with his arms like that, he said, the old's gone, the new is here, shouting, you know, declaring, it's gone, I've been changed. And that's the dramatic thing, we all, we've been changed, we're not the same. Some verses, couple, from Corinthians, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old has gone, the old life has gone, and the new life has begun, the life of the Spirit. It's done. 
And then Galatians, Paul again, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. And he gave himself for me. We died with him. Isn't that what Paul says? We died with him. Flesh cannot understand spiritual concepts. Jesus says the flesh means nothing. The words I speak are spirit and they are life. And that's where we need to be. We are no longer the same. We've been spiritually born again. Paul spoke about three types of people. The first one, I'll just use the phrase man, and it doesn't just refer to men, it's about women as well. The natural man has no thought, no concept of God whatsoever. Just like the caterpillar, in a sense. No thought of God, lives his life, God doesn't enter it, no thoughts. And to all intents and purposes, in a worldly sense, they could live quite a nice life. But no thought of God at all. And then he talks about the spiritual man who prays, fellowships with God, lives in the power of the Holy Spirit, reads the Bible, all this kind of thing. The spiritual man. But then he talks about a fleshly man, a man who has been born again. He has been filled with the Spirit. But he chooses to turn away from that and live as a fleshly life. These three people. And that's why I said the caterpillar can only do that. The butterfly can now fly, but it can choose not to. And Paul is saying here, even though we've been born again, we can still choose to turn away from what we can do and live in accordance with the flesh, because the flesh is a powerful force. I mean, if you've got to put something to death every day, then it's pretty powerful. I'm going to close in a moment. I just want to read just what I think we need to do. If anybody hasn't been born again, how do we even go about it? What, what is the process? Jesus said, suppose you have a friend and he comes to you at midnight and he says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I, do, I don't have any food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. We ask, we seek, we knock and we keep on. Shameless audacity because we believe God means what he says. And that reading actually goes on. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I believe that's the next day, John, from being born again, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to empowered by the Holy Spirit. God is willing to answer our prayers and to be found by us. Ask, seek, find. I want to show you a picture. It's there. This was a painting by Holman Hunt. Jesus said, See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and we will eat together. 
Anybody see something? I know it's not very clear because of the light. Anybody see something unusual about that door? Anybody? Sorry? There's no handle. And I believe the understanding of the painting was the handle's on the inside. Behold, I stand at the door, not you have to open the door. Jesus won't push himself in. You open the door. I pray that each one of us would willingly, if you've never known the new birth of Jesus, open your heart. Let him in. The handle's on your side. He won't force it. But I do know it'd be a life so different, so abundant, so far removed from the old life of the caterpillar. It'd be even more than the butterfly, but we'll fly to a realm that is so much different. Difference? Caterpillar was in the mud eating the leaves. Butterfly was eating nectar. What a difference. What would you rather have? Mud or honey? Your choice. Open the door and let us participate in God's divine nature. That's the brilliance of it. We become part of God in a way we, we can't even understand. I'm saying these words, but I don't fully understand it. We're participants in God's divine nature. We have a DNA of God. Divine nature attributes. We can live through the power of the Spirit more like Jesus and become more like Jesus. So as we go into this life, the new life of the Spirit, continue to ask for more. Eagerly desire. This is what it says, spiritual gifts. It's not one or you go on. Eagerly desire. Continue to move in. Continue to ask. Continue to seek and continue to knock. We want to see something happen here that we've never seen before. That's God's promise. And the only way we do it is to go deeper into the Spirit, hear God more clearly, and become more and more like Jesus to our town, not just in character, but in works and deeds that we do as well. Shall we pray? Thanks for listening. For more information, visit Brixham.Church.